If you'll remember, right before spring break, if you were here, I got uh, dosed with some pink eye. It happened on a Saturday night, a Sunday morning. I went to the emergency room uh, to find out if I was allowed to come up where children and teenagers would be. And the doctor said, yeah, put the medicine in and just wash your hands and don't touch anybody. And so I had this pink eye, and it's the Sunday before the Friday when we're leaving to go to Poland. And I'm going, man, I don't want to take pink eye with me. Everybody's saying it's gonna, it'll disappear if you put the medicine in. It'll disappear in about two days. Two days go by, it's still there. Third day, still there. Fourth day, the doctor said on Thursday, day five, if it hasn't cleared up, go see an eye doctor. Thursday, it's as red as can be. I go to the eye doctor, and she's going to give me some steroids to, to put in there. But she sits me in the seat, and, and uh, she has the eye chart projected up on a wall. It's actually behind me, but you, so you, you look at it through this like mirror, and it's projected behind you. And she asked me this question. She goes, cover your eye, so I'm looking through the bad eye. And she goes, can you see anything at all? And I thought it was a trick question because I could, I could see lots of things. And so now I'm like, the, are you talking about the eye chart? And she goes, yeah, can you see? You can see the eye chart. And I said, well, yeah, I can, I can read some letters. And she goes, how far down can you read? I said, I can read the bottom line. And she goes, read it to me. And I do it. And she's like, okay, you're, you're fine. Even though you've got pink eye, your, your vision's great. And that's kind of been my story. I've had pretty good vision all my life. Now, my wife, on the other hand, is about blind. Um, if, if she doesn't have her contacts in, she probably can't get out of this building um, on her own. Her, her glasses she wears at night, I, I tell people, like, if I put them on, I could literally see the future. They're so thick. I, I can like, you know, you know, kids used to burn ants. We could like wipe out countries if we just like did it right. Quite literally, she and I see the world differently. I mean, just in the way we are, literally, we, our eyes are that different. What we want to discover this morning is that for a lot of us, we have conflict with maybe our spouse or our kids. We have conflict sometimes in our community. And one of the reasons why we have conflict is because of the way we see the world. And I'm not talking about now your vision, if it's 2020 or not. There are some things that, that, that some lenses that we look through the world and they affect how we feel, they affect how we believe, they affect what we do. Give you an example, politics. You have a neighbor, possibly, that you have a lot in common with. I mean, you have kids the same age, you live in the same neighborhood, you have the same kind of work, but you see the world politically differently. And you've got a bumper sticker on your car, you're a Democrat or Republican, and they've got a different one on, your car, on their car. And you find that anytime you start talking about politics, it starts to get tense. It starts to get like, you know, like fighting words. I have a friend that this week, he's telling me this story. He's at the bank and he is a staunch, staunchly Republican person. And he pulls into the bank, and as he's pulling into the bank, into the drive-thru, there's a lady, and she's got a bumper sticker, and it says, like, I can't wait for Hillary 2016, something like that. He pulls in next to doesn't know the lady, rolls down his window, tells her to roll down her window. She does, and he starts trash-talking this complete stranger about Benghazi and Hillary. She starts yelling at him, you're an intolerant, you know, jerk. And, and he's like, well, you're a murderer. And they're yelling back and forth at the bank, uh, in the, the, the drive-thrus. He said, he's, he said, I was laughing, actually, because I was doing it for, He said, all the bank teller people were laughing because they could hear it all. And, and, this, and she, the lady peels out. He doesn't know her at all. But he sees the world through a lens 
that affects the way he sees her, knowing nothing about her. Now, I've got a friend. His name's uh, Jim Nelson. Lives in Austin. And Jim hangs, used to go to a church, and it was a pretty conservative church, and probably the majority of the people of the church were, were more conservative, probably Republican-type voters. Uh, Jim is a staunchly, staunchly entrenched Democrat. And I used to laugh and I used to kid with him because I'd go, how do you, I know all of your friends, you know, see the world differently. How in the, how do you as a Democrat and, and, and involved in politics, you know, hang out with him? And, and he said this, he said, I love them. They're, they all go to the same church. We all love Jesus. We just see the words of Jesus a little bit differently. And he began to explain to me, he said, I, I just believe that Jesus loves the poor and the way that the Democrat Party wants to help the poor, I believe is the way Jesus would do it. He really believed that. Now, on the flip side, his Republican friends felt the exact same way. It wasn't that they, that they, they hated what they both wanted to help the poor. They just saw through the lens a, a way to do it that was different. But they were able, even though they had different lenses in which they see the world, they were able to not have the relational chaos that so many people do. The only thing different between a Democrat and a Republican is the lens in which they see the world. They have a lot more in common than they don't. Take marriage, for example. Amanda and I, I don't, remember, I don't even remember what it was. We had this major conflict about three or four weeks ago. Um, and I think it had to do with like putting the kids down to bed. I can't remember what it was, but I could tell she was in a bad mood and it was, it was getting worse and it was getting worse. And, and afterwards we got the kids down and she was acting, you know, kind of short. And so we sat down and I said, okay, what's going on? And she began to explain the way she had seen how the night had unfolded. And she had seen the night unfold that she was all by herself, getting the kids bathed, getting the kids down, that I wasn't helping at all. She had asked me to do a few things and I hadn't done them. And she's explaining this to me and I'm listening. And guys, you, you'll feel me here. I'm listening and I feel like I'm listening to a complete foreign language because I'm thinking through all of the things that I did that I felt like were right there helping. And I'm going, oh, I could list like six things that I did in the last hour that I, I was trying to help out. And as I'm listing those things and going, well, here's what I'm, I was trying to do. She's looking at that going, what? Are you crazy? Are we listening to two different, you know, stories? My wife and I love each other. We, most of the time we see the world the same way, but for some moments we look through lenses that look different and it causes conflict. If you see the world through a lens of self, you're going to make decisions that accentuate self. If you have a high schooler and, and, and they see the, the world through the lens of self, they're going to pick a college to go to that's going to help them get, get power, fame, maybe money. If you see the world through self, you're going to make decisions that benefit self. If you see the world through a lens of things, you're going to make decisions that help you get a newer house, a newer car. It's going to help you get things. If you or a teenager have see, see the world through the lens of relationships and I need to, I need to have a relationship, you'll have a teenager, you, you'll make decisions that will be people-pleasing, that will do anything you can to keep those relationships. So as we're talking about this idea of remedy, and you'll see the answer here in a second, the question I want us to look at today, or the answer I want us to find is how does Jesus see the world? 
what, what lens does Jesus see the world through? Because if we want to avoid conflict or dissonance in our relationship with Jesus, it would help us or behoove us to see the world the way he sees the world. And so we're going to find that in Luke chapter 4. So flip over to Luke 4. And we're going to read a pretty cool story about Jesus early on in his ministry. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 says this. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I want you to go there, though. You might have heard that story before. But Jesus, it's the Sabbath day. He's actually just come from being tempted in the wilderness. He comes in, and he's, he's kind of known now already uh, as, a, as a rabbi. And he comes back to his hometown. And it's a Saturday. It's the Sabbath. The, the men are all on the, on the floor sitting in the, these backless benches. The women are in the balcony. And it's church time. And an attendant gets up and he, he introduces Yeshua ben Yusef, Jesus, son of Joseph, who's from Nazareth. And Jesus gets up and he stands in front of the podium. And they, they bring him the scroll and he opens it up. And everybody's for the, ready for the sermon. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, I don't know if he said it that way, but I'm assuming that we know the end of the story here that he didn't just read Isaiah like somebody else would read Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Jews understood that this passage in Isaiah was a picture of the coming Messiah. And Jesus goes through and he reads the rest of it. And we're going to walk through it in a second. But as he gets done, he rolls up the scroll and he hands it back to the attendant and he sits down and you can hear a pin drop in the room. Because people have already kind of leaned in because they're, they're looking at each other going, do you, do you hear how he said me? I mean, it's almost like he's thinking this is about him. And as they lean in, Jesus sits down and he says, today, in your presence, this scripture has been fulfilled. Jesus, what, what, Jesus says, I'm, I'm the Messiah. And I'm sure there were some breaths taken there were some people looking around like, do we know what he just claimed to be and what he said? And Jesus gives to the people, to these Jewish people in the synagogue, he says, the world's about to change. But here's the incredible thing. He gives them a view of how he sees the world. And what we find out is this. Jesus' lens, Jesus' view of the world was people-oriented. It was all about people and ministering to people and bringing people from where they were to where they could be. And so as we talk about remedying, we talk about joining God's work and, and healing a broken world and joining him in, in, in the work in our community, what we want to understand this week and talk about with our teenagers is this, is the remedy begins when we begin to understand that the, 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 mission, the, the mission of Jesus is people. 
When we get the idea that Jesus sees the world through people's needs and ministering to people, everything that he does flows out of that. When we begin to see that, we begin to walk closer with Jesus. Now look what he says. He goes through, and we're going to look at five different things. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus said, one of the reasons why I'm here is to go to the poor and say there's something better. You may not have all of the the stuff and you may not have all of the wealth as the people over here who they thought had their wealth because they were blessed by God. You may not have all of that, but I've got good news for you. God loves you as much as he loves the people that have wealth. See, the people didn't believe that. He went to the poor and said, there's a way that you can have a relationship with Jesus. There's a story of a family, um, Carol and Willie Flower, and it's kind of a crazy story. They were in Atlanta, mom and dad, and their, their daughter was getting married, and they were, the, the Flowers were people of great wealth. And as the wedding was coming, they had, I mean, thousands of dollars invested in this wedding. The day of the wedding came, or the day before, right around there, and the groom changes his mind. The groom walks. Says they're not, no, not, not ready to get married. They put all of this money in. They actually had a four-course dinner set up for all of the family and the groomsmen and the bridesmaids and all of that. Food already ready, bought thousands of dollars. Of food. Can't do anything about. Found out that night, went to bed. They woke up the next morning and this mom and dad of the daughter made a pretty interesting decision. They called a homeless ministry in Atlanta and they said, we want to offer up a four-course meal of salmon and coconut shrimp to all of the people in your mission. And the mission, Hosea, feed the hungry. The, the, the director later said, I thought it was like a practical joke. I thought somebody was like doing a prank, you know? And, and as they began to find out it was real, the, this family took the meal, salmon, coconut, shrimp, four-course meal, and brought 200 of Atlanta's homeless in. Could you imagine being there, how cool that would have been? I mean, just to have been back to watch the look on those men and women's faces as they were dipping their coconut shrimp in some sauce they hadn't had in years, cutting the salmon. The feeling that must have been in those men and women's hearts just for that brief moment was what Jesus meant when he said, I came to preach the good news to the poor. I came to offer a feast to the people who haven't feasted. That's the heart of Jesus. That's what he came to do. That was his mission. And so for us, The remedy, if we're going to change our world and through that, if we are going to see through the same lens as Jesus does, we have to start wrestling with how do we join join Jesus in bringing good news to the poor? Here's the second thing he says, and you'll see it's about people as well. It says, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives or to proclaim freedom to the prisoner. Now, I don't know. I don't know of any place in scripture where Jesus went to a prison and and said, hey, you get to go out. I don't know that. I know that he said, when you go to the prisoner and you minister to the prisoner, you're ministering to me. But I think what Jesus is saying here is, is, is deeper than just people in prison, even though we know that that's important to him as well because he said that in other places. I think he's talking about people who are trapped in the prison of sin. He said, I've come to, to the poor to say that you can have a relationship with God, but I've come to everyone who has sin in their life that they can't get rid of to the guy that's addicted to a drug or addicted to pornography or to a a, a husband who who, who is addicted to self and is destroying his his marriage and his kids because he can't see them because he's so caught up in his career and what he wants to become. Jesus said, you're a prisoner to your own self and I've come to set you free. 
So how do we, as believers who want to walk with Jesus, how do we connect with him to help bring freedom to people who are in prison? Third thing he says is this. Proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Same kind of theme running through here. Somebody that was blind in Jesus' day, the understanding was by common people, if you were born blind or you were blind, it was because someone in your family or you had sinned. You had done something and God had cursed you with being blind. And Jesus shows up and says, you know what? That that curse of sin, I'll remove it. And he did it quite literally multiple times. Went and spit in the mud and wiped it on people's eyes and they were able to see. Caused people who, who, who had never seen color before to be able to see a rainbow for the very first time. He came, he said, I've come to make the blind see both physically and spiritually. And we join him there. He says he came to set at liberty or to release those who are oppressed. People who need justice in the world. There's a gentleman who lives in India. His name's Chris Huritz, and he's the international director of The Word Made Flesh. And he tells a story where he and his wife and kids and some other friends were in India. And as they were in India walking down the streets, of course, you know, there's a lot of places in India that uh, are much more third world than they are first world. And as they're walking down the street, they see someone, a body, they don't even know if, if the person is alive or not. They see a body underneath this fly-infested blanket. And really what caught their attention to this body was there was a three-foot trail of diarrhea that was coming from the blanket to the gutter. And people just walking by, doing life as they know it. And this man and his wife and his kids walked over, not knowing what they would find underneath the blanket, if, if there would be a dead body or what. They pulled the blanket back. There's a, a young man, probably in his early 20s, and he was alive. Skin was leathery, eyes were bulging, emaciated. And as that young man realized that these people had gathered around to help, he began to weep uncontrollably, sob, and people started to stop and look at what was happening. They didn't have much on them. They weren't on this mission of mercy. They were just having to walk down the street. They had a bottle of water. They found a newspaper and they began to use their bottle of water and and newspaper to clean this 22-year-old young man up, to clean his body of the diarrhea. They began to talk and they said, you know, he's in bad shape. We could get him to Mother Teresa's home for the dying. They began to try to wave a taxi down. No taxi would stop. Some other friends came and it took a whole group of people to get a taxi, to get this man in the taxi, to get him to a place where he could die in peace. And as they're doing all of this and people are walking by and people are stopping, they didn't notice until the taxi had pulled away and some of the other friends went with them. They hadn't noticed what set right across the street from where the man lay. It was a church. And the church had a sign out front and on the sign it said, All are welcome. And Chris reflected back on that day, the travesty of a church who is not joining Jesus in his work of bringing justice to the oppressed. We're going to talk about, before we we finish, we're going to talk about how we do that. But we see Jesus cares about people. And the remedy for us begins when we begin to understand that the mission of Jesus is people. And the last thing he says is this. He says he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Now, in the Old Testament, I'm not, I, I don't know a whole lot about this. It would be something I probably ought to go back and, and study because it, it is interesting. But in the Old Testament, there, there was a year called the year of Jubilee. And it happened, I believe, every 50 years. And every 50 years, the land that had been sold to other people because people got, you know, a family got caught in a financial pinch, so they would sell off some of their family land to someone else. That, that land was given back to the family of, that it originated with. If somebody had sold themselves to be a slave or to be a, a worker, they were set free during the year of Jubilee. So this year of Jubilee was this celebration when everything was set right. Everything was set back. The reset button was hit. And Jesus says, I came to reclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I came to push the reset button, to start us back over fresh, where we, we're new before God again, where, where, where sin is not in the picture anymore. And as you read through these things that Isaiah prophesied and Jesus said, I'm coming to fulfill those, every one of these things, his mission, were about people. Really not about building buildings. Not about money, not about fame. It was about people and restoring them into a relationship with Jesus, primarily through meeting their needs. So for us, as we talk about being a remedy for the next several weeks, it starts with us changing the lens through which we see the world. Some of us get caught up in seeing it through self. We see it through money. We might even see it through family, and family's not a bad thing. But if you want to walk deeper with Jesus... We need to start looking through the world, looking at the world the way he sees it. The lens of loving people and meeting their needs so that they can have the reset button pushed in their life. So let's talk briefly, real quickly. We'll run out of time. Um, three things that we can do to do that. And here's one. And this is going to be a little bit difficult, but you, this is going to be some calendar planning. But spend some time with some people who are underprivileged. Uh, you know, that might be a great thing to do as a family, to say, hey, you know, on a Saturday, we're going to go, and you might have to do some research. I'll help you with that. We're going to go spend some time around some people that don't have what we have. And not just to be around them, but we want to get to know their story. See, most of us see someone, take a homeless person, for example. That's a good picture of somebody that's underprivileged. We see them, and we kind of make some stereotype ideas, don't we? A lot of times we just assume they're an alcoholic we just assume that they're not going to go get a job. But once you get to know people's stories, you begin to find out who they are because you've spent some time with them. It begins to change the way you see them. Lots of times when we go to New Orleans and we try to take uh, our seniors uh, occasionally for their senior mission trip if they can go, one of the places we go is to a homeless center in New Orleans. And I've fallen in love with some of the people there. There's one guy, and I don't know him, but he walks up and down the streets around the mission, in a suit and tie. And he wanders back and forth. He actually has a home, but he comes to the mission for food sometimes, so he'll just walk underneath the bridge. And he is, he's mentally got some things happening now. But people in the community look at him, he's kind of weird because he's in a suit and tie and people kind of shake their heads at him until somebody one day found out a story. He was a guy like you and me had a career, was doing well, the suit and tie or his suits and ties. And he tragically lost his wife and children in a car wreck one day, instantaneously gone, and he snapped. Didn't know how to cope with it. Didn't know how to go from being a family man with a career to being all alone. Lost his job, still has his house, doesn't work, and now has the mental issues that he's never gotten help with, and he wanders the streets of New Orleans. 
Now, if you had the opportunity to see him walking down the street, you didn't know who he was, you could just tell he was a homeless man in a, in a suit, you would think one thing. But once you know his story, it changes the way you feel. It was in Oceanside, California, where we do our mission trip, and we don't work in this area, but I had been there before students got there, and I went to a, a homeless shelter there, New Orleans. Now we're on the West Coast. And I'm sitting down eating dinner with some men in the homeless center, eating dinner with them just like what they're eating. And I start talking to the guy across the way from me who comes to this homeless center every day for dinner and he gets bad lunches. And we begin to talk and begin to tell me a story. And I found out that he, he comes and he lives there as well, sleeps at night. He actually has a job. He said, I've got a job. And he goes, man, I work more than 40 hours a week. And he said, but I make, and he goes, I make about $2,500 a month or yeah, I think $2,500, no, 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 I'm sorry, $2,500 every two weeks. He makes about $5,000 a month. And he's living in a homeless shelter because in Southern California for $5,000 a month, he can't get a place to live. All of a sudden, the story changes. He's anything but lazy. He's working as many hours a week as I am. He's just in a place where he's not making enough money to cover his needs, and so he uses the ministry to eat and to sleep. And all of a sudden, when you engage with him, you get to know his story, you spend some time with him, it changes the way you see him and his friends. If we're going to see the world the way Jesus did, if we're going to see people and see their needs and meet their needs and lean into the oppressed and to lean into the poor, we're going to have to spend some time getting to know their story. That's not easy. It's going to take some calendaring adjustment for you and your family, but it's certainly an idea, certainly an option that you can do to change the way you view the world. Here's the second thing you can do. Get involved in a ministry that's bringing justice to the world. There's a ton of things out there. World Vision, Compassion International, where you can adopt a kid for $38 a month and you can write letters back and forth. You can email, you can email and they'll write the letters for you. You can even go and see the child if you wanted to save the money and take the airfare and take the trip there. But for $38 a month, you can educate, feed, clothe and provide spiritual nourishment for an underprivileged child or get involved in a place that's helping bring clean water to the world or, or get involved in an organization that's helping to fight human trafficking. If you're looking for something your kids are interested in, we asked them through version on Wednesday night if they, had, if they could eliminate one thing in the world, poverty, clean water, what would it be? The, the 44% of your teenagers said they would eliminate human trafficking. Maybe you lean into that and you find an organization and as a family, you figure out a way that we can get involved and do something. It may not even be going anywhere. It may be something that, that simple as you go, hey, we're going to have a garage sale. We're going to get rid of all of our junk, but instead of taking the money, we're going to donate all of these proceeds to this organization that's fighting human trafficking or building water wells or whatever, but get involved in what Jesus is doing around the world in an organization that's bringing justice to the oppressed. That's what Jesus said he came to do. You could do it locally. You could drive right over to Leander Road, stop into the Williamson Pregnancy Help Center and say, hey, how can my family help? Give us an idea. They may not know right away. They don't know. Go back the next week and tell them, we're going to keep coming back till you find something for us to do. They'll probably have stuff. There's a lot of areas, Williamson County, you can go to Austin and serve at Church Under the Bridge and spend time with people who are like the people I did introduce to you from New Orleans and Oceanside. They're here as well. Begin to do some ministry there with your family to engage with what Jesus is already doing. And here's the third thing. When, just again, giving you some things you can do. 
Maybe somebody here needs to accept Jesus' mission for you. We're talking about people that may not feel like you, the poor, the sick, whatever. Jesus said he came to proclaim freedom to the prisoner, to make the blind see. And I look around the room, and I know most people in this room, I've heard lots of your stories, and, and assume most people have a relationship with Jesus. But if you don't, Jesus has never come in and hit the reset button for you, and your application is easy. Your application is to accept the gift that Jesus has done for you. His death on a cross, his resurrection to defeat sin. It's a gift for you. His mission isn't just for those people. His mission was for you. And we're going to close out with a word of prayer. And I'm going to pray what we call a prayer of salvation. If you're not a believer, maybe you've been doing the church thing and you need Jesus to come in and reset, hit the reset button for you. I want you to pray with me. I'm not going to embarrass you and ask you to come up front. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. What I'm going to ask you to do is sometime before the end of today, come and tell me, man, I prayed that prayer and I want to talk about what happens next. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. I want to walk you in that journey of the next steps. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to watch a quick video clip and then I'm going to close us out. Jesus, I thank you that you came to change the world. You came and engaged a broken world to bring healing. You came to engage broken people and broken families and to bring healing. You came for the oppressed. You came for the blind. You came for the poor. And God, we want that to be real for us. And we also want to join you in what you're doing. So God, over the next few weeks, as we journey through this idea of being a remedy to a broken world, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of the parents in this room about how they can, in their own lives and their families, join you in that. And God, I want to pray for anybody here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you. And if you're in the room, this is when I want you to pray with me. I want you to just say this. I want you to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've done things that are far from your character. And I believe you died on the cross. And I believe that you were raised from the dead. And I'm asking you to come into my life and change me. If you pray that prayer before today ends, I'd love to hear that you did that. I want to close out with one brief movie illustration from the movie... Les Miserables? Is that how you say it? Les Mis. Les Mis. Yeah, Les Mis. That's how we call it in the industry. Um, watch this short video clip. <laughs> 